Good morning. Just another correction um, <clears throat> before we start. Um, Eliana's birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday, Eliana. I, I fumbled that one last week. <clears throat> Are there any other birthdays today? Okay, there were none on the schedule. Um, and uh, ask you to pray for Peter Mead. He, um, sorry, Paul Howland. We'll pray for Peter too, but um, Paul, at last word uh, a week ago, was stuck in Paris. He's a um, missionary there, and uh, because of um, general strikes in France, may not be able to make it for the CMS conference. So uh, pray for Paul to, to make it here and also for the dinner on, uh, on June 4th. Uh, Don, you must have been reading ahead because uh, you, as you prayed, you prayed that all the promises of God in Christ are yea and in him amen. And uh, I encourage that, um, that you read ahead for next week. I don't know if, um, if, there's, uh, if it's in the bulletin that, um, the, yes, Michael says yes. In the bulletin there, are, there is the passage for next week, so read ahead. Read um, Okay, all right. It will be out there in the, in the bulletin. Thank you, Michael. So, um, Luke, give us a map. Um, Paul's first and second missionary journeys. And I'm sorry, do you have a pointer? There's a little uh, geography and chronology involved in today's lesson, and so I want to back up a little bit and, um, and talk about Paul's, um, Paul's missions journeys. The second one is in green, and um, Paul made his way uh, through to Troas. He heard the Macedonian call, went to Philippi, um, down through uh, Macedonia to Achaia and Corinth. <clears throat> Corinth. What, um, what images do you get from the name Corinth? Well, it's hard to imagine the difficulty and the impossibility of starting a church in a pagan city. So I'm comparing it to San Francisco. Both Corinth and San Francisco, um, San Francisco now and Corinth then, had about the same size population, about seven or 800,000. They were both international centers of commerce. <clears throat> and both were known for their entertainment and vice and corruption. So you're, you're an apostle for the Lord Jesus. You're called to, um, to Corinth. Where do you start? Where do you go? There, there's, no, um, uh, there's no church there, so you can't get on the phone and say, listen, I'm new in town. I'd like to help you with your church planning effort. I'm an evangelist. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll help you um, with your evangelistic effort. There was nothing in Corinth. 
What would you do? So Paul was there for 18 months, uh, A.D. 51 and 52. And, um, and so he, he rolled up his sleeves and got to work. And at the end of 18 months, there was a flourishing church in the city of Corinth. Amazing. So you can understand his joy as he addresses the, the Corinthian believers that there is a church at all and that it is functioning and it is flourishing. So um, let's, uh, let's turn to our passage and read 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand, even to the end, as also you've understood us in part, that we are your boast, as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And, this is, uh, and in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by you, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things that I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who, has, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts is a guarantee. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth, not that we have dominion over your faith, but are fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. Paul's boast rejoicing, glorying, was that he conducted himself, the apostles conducted themselves with simplicity and godly sincerity. What is simplicity? It is a single motive of obedience to God for his glory. And godly sincerity is um, really purity, it's uh, freedom from hypocrisy. It's the absence of any disguise. Paul wasn't wearing a mask to the Corinthians. He had no ulterior motives. There was no secret agenda that Paul had in his ministry. A word that we throw around today, um, like simplicity and godly sincerity, is integrity. And we find it in corporate America in a lot of the uh, core values
that corporations have. But um, as I observe coworkers and as I hear about um, companies, uh, even in the Bay Area, I wonder, do we really understand what integrity is? Do we know what, what simplicity is? Having that single-minded focus on the Lord, on His will. Do we know godly sincerity, the, um, the ability to move and to speak without hypocrisy? The apostles must have discussed it because um, Paul refers to our conscience. He says that we conducted ourselves, our conscience, and so imagine this dialogue among um, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy as they recount their, um, their dealings with the Corinthian church. Their conscience testified that they were, um, they, they were ministering with purity and, and uh, simplicity. Samuel had, um, had such a conscience. If we look back in the uh, account of first of Samuel in 1 Samuel. And chapter 12, Samuel was at the end of his, um, his service for the Lord. And he says in the middle of um, chapter two, 1 Samuel 12, two, I am old and gray headed and look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received a bribe, any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they, that is Israel said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. If we can find a minister like Samuel, like Paul, like Silvanus, like Timothy, we have good ministers. They serve with sincerity, they serve with simplicity, and uh, we, we thank the Lord for them. He says, um, not with fleshly wisdom, Paul said. What does fleshly wisdom look like? This is how we do it in the marketplace. This is how we do it in the office. We want to do that here in the church. That's fleshly wisdom. Nine out of 10 experts agree. The majority of Americans agree, is that how we're to conduct ourselves? Paul said, no, not with fleshly wisdom. This is how we've always done it, fleshly wisdom. Modern psychology has proven this, fleshly wisdom. But Paul ministered by the grace of God. Perhaps there were things that Paul could have done more efficiently, not more efficiently, but quicker in the flesh by uh, just um, powering through in his own strength. But he waited for the Lord. He waited for his timing and for his strength. And so did um, minister by the grace of God. Not just in the world, as important as that is, 
but more abundantly toward you, you Corinthians. We were extra careful among you Corinthians not to be hypocritical, not to be double-minded, not to be appearing to take any secular benefit, any, um, uh, any profit from you. What does simple and sincere ministering look like in, um, uh, in the life of an apostle? We see it uh, before, um, or actually as this letter was being written, Paul was in Thessalonica, and um, we see him ministering there. I'd like to pick up some of the insights that he shared with the Thessalonians as he did with the Corinthians. We look at um, 1 Thessalonians 2. Hear the heart of Paul for the Thessalonian believers. 1 Thessalonians 2, um, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Verse 3. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. So here's, uh, here's simplicity. Uh, Paul was seeking to please the Lord and not men. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, that we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. That's tender. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Paul was willing to lay down his own life for these Thessalonians, not just the gospel, not just give them the gospel. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached to you the gospel of God. The uh, job of a, an apostle, uh, sent one of God, is a 24-7 job, and it's, uh, it's wearisome, but it's a glad wearisome. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. We saw the mother's love um, in his, his gentleness toward the saints, and here's a father's love in his counsel. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it, as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works in you who believe. So here's a snapshot. Here's a, um, a picture, a portrait of the Apostle Paul among the Thessalonian believers. I'd like to look then 
after Corinth at um, Paul's relating to the Ephesians, and we find that in Acts chapter 20. We're answering the question here, what does it mean to minister with simplicity and sincerity? Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17. From Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility. So here's, uh, here's another trait of the, um, the leader is uh, humility. He was not um, looking down on the Ephesian believers, but was, for, was uh, serving them from beneath. With many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Is there something beneficial for you, Ephesians? I was willing to give it. I was going to uh, not withhold it from you. If that meant uh, preaching on Sundays, I was willing to do that. If that meant going house to house and conducting uh, studies, if it meant one-on-one -on -one time, I'd be happy to, to do that testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. In Ezekiel, the, um, the Lord challenges um, the prophet Ezekiel. He says, you're a watchman over the house of Israel. He said, if you don't warn the, um, the wicked, then I will, uh, I will charge you with their blood. Their blood is on your hands. Paul says, I'm free from the blood of all men. Imagine Paul was so thorough in his witness. He was so, um, he had such a heart for people that each person he talked to, if he had the opportunity, he told them about the Lord Jesus Christ. He warned them that the Lord is uh, going to hold us accountable. We're sinners and that there is a price for that disobedience. But there's freedom too. There's, um, there's liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's salvation through him. Paul said, I am free from the blood of all men. A conscience at ease. A clear conscience. What is the price of a clear conscience? It's expensive, but it's worth it. In Paul's ministry, there was no exaggeration, no self-importance, no pretending to have a closer walk with the Lord Jesus than he did, but he was refreshingly honest and open and transparent. And so the uh, Corinthians observed this as well. 
in um, verse 13. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. He, um, he was not sharing anything new with them, but um, things that the Corinthians already knew. They wouldn't have to untwist Paul's words. They wouldn't have to assign his letter to a, a team of um, interpreters, but um, Paul wrote very plainly. The Corinthians had benefited from that part of Paul's ministry that they had seen, and they should find no alarm, though they watch him even to the end of his life. There should be no cause for alarm. In verse um, 14, as also you've understood us in part, that we are your boast, as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are your rejoicing. We are your boast, just as you are ours. It speaks of a real bond of um, the apostles with the Corinthian believers, not just in the day of the writing of this letter, but Paul says in the day of the Lord Jesus. There's a future accounting of the shepherd for the sheep and for the sheep ourselves. We should always keep this eternal view, the long view. We should um, conduct ourselves as, um, as if to give account to the Lord Jesus, because we will. Paul served with, um, with the goal of hearing the Lord Jesus well done, good and faithful servant. But um, as we can see in verse 14, he wasn't just concerned about his own reward, his own commendation. He was um, concerned about the Corinthians. He wanted to hear their well done also. In verses um, 15 and 16, we read about Paul's change of travel plans. Paul's intent was, and um, verse 15, and, this, and in this confidence I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on the way to Judea. Could we see um, the second map? The, um, Paul's second journey is in red. He came to, um, to Troas and he sent, um, he sent Titus to Corinth to find out how the Corinthians were doing after his first letter. Um, he didn't hear back from Titus. Imagine um, the difficulty of travel in the year, um, now it's uh, AD 56. 
how do you get news? How do you, um, how do you write to someone? It's, um, it's not that far. I mean, it's only a couple hundred miles. There's no U.S. Postal Service. There's no text. Um, how do you address things? I, I'd like to find out how it is that you communicate back and forth. However they communicated, Titus wasn't there. He, um, Paul was anxious to hear about the, um, the believers in Corinth. So Paul traveled to, um, to Macedonia. We're not sure exactly what town he was in, but he wrote there the second uh, letter to the Corinthians. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. So um, his intention was in verse 15 to give a second benefit. It's nice to be able to um, be so sure of the Lord's grace and uh, his word that your visit will benefit others and not be a burden or a load on them. So Paul wanted to give this second benefit. He wasn't reluctant to ask the Corinthians for help. He said in verse 16, to be helped by you on my way to Judea. He was intending to go to, um, uh, to Judea. Uh, map again, Luke. I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I explained this fully, but he, uh, Paul was intending to go to, to Corinth and to Macedonia and then back. So that would have been the second uh, that would have been the second uh, visit, the second blessing there. But um, as you can see, uh, he did not. So he wasn't reluctant to ask the Corinthians for help by prayer, by fellowship, by hospitality, but not by money. He did not expect financial support from the Corinthian believers. He'll bring that out in chapter 11 as he brought it out in his first letter um, to the Corinthians chapter 9. He wasn't looking for, um, for their support financially. I hope that we are close enough here that I can come to you for help when I need it. Um, and, uh, and ask you for that without being a, a special burden to you. Paul's decision was deliberate. He asks the believers in verse 17, he said, therefore when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be a yes, yes, and a no, no. Did I plan my visit indecisively? Was I uncertain about my plan? Did I not think it through before, um, before sharing that plan with you? A am I fickle? Am I wishy-washy? Am I flaky? Do I not keep my promises? This is the question he was asking, and perhaps Paul's adversaries had picked up on this. Perhaps they had said um, in the Corinthian assembly, that Paul is a worthless and reckless man. Paul is a prophet of lies and of lawlessness. He can't even keep his commitments to, to come and visit you. And so Paul is answering this. He asks, did I plan 
or the things that I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? And what he means there, I believe, is that uh, was I thinking only of myself as I, as I made these plans, saying, yes, yes, now, but no way later on. Did I plan irresponsibly with just my personal convenience and comfort in mind? Paul appeals to the Lord and his faithfulness in verse 18, but as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. God is faithful. That means he's true to his word. In, uh, in Numbers, God revealed that he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of a man that he should repent. Has he said and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken and shall he not make it good? God is true to his word and he cannot act inconsistently with his character. I tried to imagine an existence where God was unfaithful even for a second and it was unimaginable trying to think that, um, that uh, he'd be untrue to his promises. As God is faithful, Paul says, our word to you was not yes and no. Paul was not untrustworthy, saying positively yes now, but uh, probably not later. He, he points to God's reliability as his standard. He says, as God is faithful. And in doing so, he seeks to defend not his honor, but the Lord's honor. Therefore, the apostle's word to the Corinthians was not hazy or cloudy or false, but was certain and true and confident. There's an application for us right here today, and it deals with the difference between commitments and aspirations. What do I mean by that? A person making even the smallest commitment to the less, least significant activity will count the cost. He'll say, am I able to, to carry this out? Am I able to meet that commitment? If so, he makes the commitment, and then he says, uh, I swear to my own hurt. If it means me spending uh, extra money, if it means me taking extra time, if it means me enduring extra pain, I will keep my commitment, no matter how small. That is commitment. How is that different from aspiration? Aspiration is when I agree to something because it's what I ought to do. I don't really have the resources for it, but I know that your request begs a yes response. It's the right thing to do. I want to do it. So when I, when I have this aspiration, I'm not, um, I'm not going to keep it, but um, it's something that, that I, it's a, it's a noble ambition. It's a great idea. 
It's a notion, a whim, a dead obligation. I used to meet a brother for lunch regularly on Sunday afternoons, and um, it, was a, it was a time of fellowship, but I was there late. And um, I would meet him at, and his family at a restaurant. And I, uh, I said to him finally, I said, look, brother, this is the third time I've been over 20 minutes late in uh, meeting you for lunch. I have squandered your time. I've wasted your time. I have despised the time of your, you and your family. Will you forgive me? Mine was an aspiration. I, I committed, I thought, to, to meeting him, but I did not keep it because I didn't have the resources to do that. We see this, um, these aspirations in politics. <clears throat> we hear promises that are right. They ought to be made, but they're empty. The, um, the promiser has no resources to, to follow through. He hasn't counted the cost. He doesn't realize what it is that it will take to, um, to complete. We see that especially at the negotiating table and even with our um, uh, overtures with North Korea. Promise, unpromise, promise, unpromise. Is there an example in scripture to avoid? Yes, unhappily. It's in the Corinthian assembly, and Paul takes them to task for it in chapter 9. The Corinthians had purposed to send a gift to Jerusalem for the poor there. It was a noble gesture. It was what they ought to do. It was what they wanted to do, but they didn't do it. And so Paul, uh, we'll see in, uh, in chapter 9, Paul takes them to task for it, and he says, now complete the doing of this that you have um, committed to do. In verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. In Christ, God's promises are a resounding, unshakable yes. They will be accomplished. And what does this reveal about the Lord Jesus? It reveals that he is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is unchanging. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will, not pass, will by no means pass away. And we read in verse 20, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen. There is an interesting title of um, the Lord in Isaiah 65. And the passage reads, He who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. The Hebrew word... Help us, Amos and Noed and Sarah. The Hebrew word for truth there is amen. Uh, the God of amen. And so um, Jesus Christ, 
reveals himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness in Revelation 3, 14. Let's take a look at several of God's promises and how we see them fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. We'll address them by question. Can God offer a sacrifice so pure, so powerful, so effective that it might be accepted for me? That he might stand in my place even for the wrongs that I've done. The promise of God is in Genesis 22, and it's simply God will provide. God will provide. We see this fulfilled in our Lord Jesus. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can God provide a sacrifice for the vilest sinner? Yes, in Christ. Can God give the outlaw peace? Can he give the aimless wanderer a home? The promise, Isaiah 57, 15. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. The fulfillment in Christ Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can God give the outlaw peace? Yes, in Christ. Can God justify the ungodly? Can he declare the immoral person righteous? The promise, Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The fulfillment. God is set forth as a propitiation by his blood. God set forth Jesus as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Can God justify the ungodly? Yes, in Christ. Can God see a frail, faltering sinner safely through this life, even a weak sheep prone to wander? The promise a highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. The fulfillment. Therefore, he is able also to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, that is Christ, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And also in John 10, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish 
neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Can God keep a wandering sheep in the way, on the way? Yes, in Christ. Can God bring quiet to the restless soul, even an anxious, troubled soul like mine? The promise, he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. The fulfillment, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can God dispel the fear of death? The promise, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The fulfillment, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Can God heal the broken heart? Can he soothe the pain of having said goodbye to the dearest on earth? The promise, Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The fulfillment, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, said the Lord Jesus, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Can God give strength to one who's unable to bear the burdens of the day? The promise, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with, a, with my righteous right hand. The fulfillment, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does God give strength? Can he? Absolutely, yes, in Christ. He is the yes, the amen of God's promises. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me, the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord, I see. If you are without Christ this morning, you have reasons to come to him. He faithfully, generously offers you eternal life by promise. That's a, that's a reason, that's all the reason that we need. However, he is as faithful of his, to his promised judgment as well. He cannot deny himself. It is a vain hope that counts on God dismissing one of his promises. That's a vain hope. He's, he's not going to back out on his promises. That's a warning. He will not deny himself. Paul says in um, verse 20, it's to the glory of God through us. God's not content to give eternal life or other benefits, it seems, without his promise. Promises kept show his faithfulness. Promises teach us reliance on him. They show us our dependence on him. And they require us to exercise patience. There's a purpose for promises.
What a privilege that God chooses to reveal his grace and trustworthiness through unworthy sinners. Paul says, to the glory of God through us. The apostle's life was bound in a bundle with the Corinthians. He says in verse 21, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God established in Christ the apostles with the Corinthians. The apostles and the Corinthians were on level ground at the cross of Calvary. God anointed both the Corinthians and the apostles with the same spirit, teaching and enabling them with his abilities and his spiritual gifts. God sealed both the Corinthians and the apostles with his Holy Spirit showing his ownership showing his security, the seal being invisible. I cannot see his seal on believers here, but I see evidences in uh, a spirit-filled life. God gave the spirit in the hearts of the apostles and the Corinthian believers and to us who know the Lord as a guarantee of his inheritance until he redeems his purchased possession. The Holy Spirit's indwelling is a pledge that God's coming back, that he's going to redeem. He's going to to, uh, give us his full inheritance. Then Paul, in his um, last two verses here, gives a reason for his change of plans. He comes back to these charges of his instability and unreliability. Since none could discern his heart motives, he calls on God to be his witness that it was to spare the Corinthians Corinthians, that he came no more to them. There was still a careless tolerance of sin in the Corinthian assembly. It's a theme that he will pick up again in this letter and develop more fully. And I borrow from uh, chapter 12 where he says, I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Paul changed his plans to not go to the Corinthian assembly because he did not want to deal sharply with the Corinthians. um, He did not want to rebuke them, but rather to give the Corinthians time to put things right in their own assembly. Paul affirmed in verse 24 that he's not a dictator over the Corinthians, not that we have dominion over your faith. He said, uh, he wrote later in this letter, he says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Christ's sake. 
So he presents himself as a servant, as a fellow worker to the Corinthians' joy. He was committed to their growth, to their maturity, and would get no satisfaction by being a tyrant to them. By faith, the Corinthians stood firm. Paul seems to indicate here that the problems the Corinthians had were not of a doctrinal nature, but they were conduct in the assembly that they needed to deal with. Paul, Silas, Timothy were apostles of the God of truth and faithfulness, the God of amen. They conducted themselves with um, simplicity and godly sincerity. They were committed to the growth and the maturity of the saints. They didn't make their decisions rashly, nor was their preaching full of uncertainties. May we here who know the Lord Jesus so honor him as his spokesmen and ambassadors, as, uh, as his ambassadors uh, of the God of truth. Let's pray. We do thank you, Lord, for applications that we can make in our lives that our words should not be yes and no, should not be um, maybe, but instead should be yes and amen. We pray that we might be men and women of our word and um, that we might follow through with our commitment, especially in our ministry to other believers. Thank you, Lord, for, um, uh, for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is um, in him all your promises are yes and amen. In his name, amen. <laughs>